sitting from a very tiny cup. It's very tiny. It is, because it is full of a double shot of espresso. Oh, nice. And I am sipping from a... <laughs> a larger cup. It is uh, a Sharapa brand mug that Nick sent, was very kind to send me one of. And uh, um, it's Nespresso, so it's a bit full of a cup, but it's still very good coffee. Yes. No, Nespresso is good. I know we've uh, talked about coffee before. You know, sometimes I wonder... I wonder when people stumble into our podcast for the very first time mm-hmm. with no knowledge of what what our deal is. It's just called Clearly Speaking. Yeah. And the first thing they hear is, ah, here's the thing. I, I do not like black coffee. Okay. Not a fan of a black coffee. Like if oh. you're going to have like pour over coffee or yeah. drip coffee, I want like a good bit of cream in it. Okay. But if it's just like a double shot of espresso, either I'll just like down it real quick or just sip on it like I'm doing now. And I, I love it. It's delicioso. So I I used to have to put a bit of milk and some sugar in my coffee, but Nespresso coffee is so good, I don't need to add anything, which is good. It's good for my health to not have to add those things. Um, right. But you know, it was actually kind of nice there. It's just like we're just – I felt like we we're a morning show for a second, you know? Yes. Harrison and Anthony in the morning. Beautiful. And like, here's, okay, so this is what's going on in my brain We're sitting right there now. with our coffee cups, yeah. Yes. Uh, so I'm recording in the evening. Uh, I just, uh, it's like 5.30 over here. Okay. I just had a double shot of espresso. And this is my calculus. I do have some other things I have to get uh, done today. So maybe I'll just stay up late. I'm always... And, but then I can I have to wake up early in the morning because our adoration chapel is finally opening. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, our little adoration chapel has been closed. It started off with COVID, but then we took time, uh, like, hey, let's renovate this place. Right. So I'm gonna do like a little quiet mass by myself uh, to uh, kind of inaugurate the new uh, adoration chapel, mm-hmm. uh, and you know also consecrate hosts for adoration and that sort of thing. But while for daily masses at the parish, I feel an obligation to not be grumpy. Right. For just the angels and the saints, they can handle all my grumpiness. So right. I can have myself a grumpy mass. Yes. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. But does it, the coffee doesn't wake you up to keep you up until like way late at night. night? It might. It might. Or do you not care because it's, we're you know, this is number two of our one day recording. And so you're going to be up late tonight with the election stuff. Yeah, so I'm not so worried about uh, the election stuff. I figured, you know what? Uh, I will feel better about all the stuff I have to do tomorrow if I'm tired, but I know that I've gotten a lot of stuff done tonight. Right. So that's the calculus. Okay. And I'm sure a lot of people go through this in different ways, but I'm sick and tired of trying to do calculus about like how much sleep I should get. It's driving me crazy. So I finally, finally, finally took my sleep test. And mm-hmm. one of the things mm-hmm. I have to do tonight is put it in the mail, mm-hmm. and then, Father Harrison, if they don't tell me I have some kind of sleep apnea, I am going to lose my mind. Because, okay, so today's an odd day, drinking a lot of coffee in the evening, normally don't do that. But no matter how much I sleep, I'm always tired, yeah. and I can't handle it anymore. Right. So if they don't tell me something is concretely wrong with me, I don't know what I'm going to do. Something else is going to be wrong with you. You're going to lose your mind. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's going to be something wrong with everybody because I'm going to tear this place down. What if this is just the cross Jesus wants you to have? Oh, could it not be, though? <laughs> like, give me... Uh, actually, you know what? That's a dangerous game to play. A dangerous <laughs> game to ask for crosses, right? Right, right? But holy smokes. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about a thing now that you mentioned it. Way back uh, when, when I was still in seminary mm-hmm. and I was on retreat, and it was probably the most spiritually edifying retreat I had ever been on. It was an eight-day silent retreat. And... I remember, same deal, always being tired, even back then, like uh, eight plus years ago. And like, I'm praying really well and fighting through, like we did five holy hours a day, or was it four or five, something like that. And I was tired for most of them, but my spiritual director told me just to go through it, and I was feeling the fruits of it. And I remember praying and asking God, please, one day, I would like to be able to like rest. Right. And I felt such a real consolation. It felt affirmative. But now I'm wondering if the Lord was affirming that I'm going to die one day or if I'm going to get my sleep apnea fixed. Because it could be either. It could be my eternal rest, Father Harrison. I might be tired forever. So what's the delay getting it in the mail? Uh, the delay getting it in the mail is that uh, I, I, I just haven't done it yet. <laughs> so I need to do that tonight. So it's in the mail tomorrow. And then I can go about my business. And then how long will it take for you to hear back? No idea. Okay. Um, yeah, I also developed a little form and say, like, yes, I'm tired all the time. Now, luckily, I haven't, like, actually fallen asleep, like, while driving or mm-hmm. anything. So that's good. Uh, but holy smokes. Um, so that's, that's I'm ironically, by drinking this coffee tonight, I'll be able to get that done tonight and not sleep tonight so that in the future I will be able to sleep. Gotcha. But for now, I'm all I'm all fired up and ready for some Clerically Speaking. So welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. Uh, so I got a new addition to my rectory a week and a half ago. Two and a half weeks by the time this drops. Um, so there's no chapel in my rectory. Now, my rectory is not at the church. It's a bit, it's a few minutes away. Not, not long, not far, but just a few minutes away from the church. So I'm, um, so my rectory, yeah. So, and there's no chapel here. It's just, it's a small house, uh, three, one master bedroom, two smaller bedrooms. And so when I got here, I transformed one of the bedrooms into a library where I put all my books. Of course you did. Because like, why wouldn't you want your books in all in one place? Um, I possibly didn't have to do that, but I, you know, it's nice. Anyway, so I took the bed out. It's sitting in the garage now, all wrapped up and everything. And then I was like, but I need a place to pray. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to have the Blessed Sacrament here. And I'd like to have uh, an altar. And I was kind of like, there's not a lot of room to do something here. And 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 so I was like, what am I going to do? And then I talked to a parishioner. I said, you know what? Like, I can do, I can make it the li- a library slash chapel. Uh, I can make it both. Because like, hey, there's nothing wrong with reading in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Anything, no, even good. even study stuff, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'll just do this with Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. So I was talking to a parishioner who's good at carpentry, and I said, hey, like, I'm looking to get like a little altar. And like, what I decided to do was the closet in that room, we took off the door, and we put the altar in the closet. And then um, I said, yeah, so that's what I want to do. And then I want some way either for something to flip out or to pull out where I could celebrate Mass on. Mm-hmm. Okay. He says, oh, well, he goes, actually, Father, this is amazing. I've had this beautiful piece of, of um, 
I think it's like maple lion or something like that. Like just super, super nice wood, right? Yeah. It's been sitting in my house for years. And I was always just like, God wants something with this wood. Hmm. And now here you are asking. <laughs> he goes, and he goes, I just want to give it because I know what this is going to do. It's going to be a good thing to have. And so he goes, yeah, I will. I'll get something together for you. And so he installed it two weeks ago, finally. And it's gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. The wood is gorgeous. Um, just stunning, stunning wood. And yes, yeah, so what it does is then it, then there's a pullout. So then I can celebrate mass. And I was just, I was thinking not just, listen, actually I could have probably celebrated just within the closet like that because I'm short. So my hands won't hit the, the top of the closet. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. But I was thinking, you know, maybe I won't be here forever. And maybe there's a taller guy who will come later and he might want to celebrate mass and he won't want to have to hit the ceiling and stuff. So now a pullout for actually saying mass and it's perfect. He's got it locked into place and everything. And then I emailed the bishop that night. Because so for those who don't know, you can't just reserve the Blessed Sacrament anywhere you want. No, you cannot. That is up to uh, that is a prerogative of the diocesan bishop uh, or someone he delegates. Um, yeah. And so I emailed my bishop that day. I said, "Hey, I've got a little altar in my room in in a spare room that I could celebrate Mass on for my day rest and a place to pray. Um, but I would very much like to have the Blessed Sacrament here." He goes. Yeah, no problem. He goes, actually, it's a great idea so that if you get a house uh, hospital call and you're at home, you can just go grab the Eucharist and just go, right. right? Instead of having to drive to the church, turn off the alarm, find the tabernacle, like it's all it's all a thing, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. uh, he goes, yeah, no problem. So I, I uh, on the Monday, I because I was saying Mass at a friend's house on the Monday, so I, uh, I didn't get to say, I actually haven't had a chance to say Mass on it yet. But I went to the church, got some supplies for the house for Mass kit and stuff, and then I got brought a few hosts of the Eucharist home and put them in there. And I put some icons up kind of right now. I'm going to hang stuff eventually, but it's great. It's awesome. I'm so happy to have it. Yeah, this is good. And you know, the other thing about having a, like a, a, a pullout uh, option for your altar too, is that it's nice to have that space. Mm-hmm. Because like I have got a, a little adoration chapel uh, set up in my rectory as well. The previous uh, priest put that in there, and it's very nice. It's very nice. It, it suits my needs. But uh, the tabernacle is quite large, right? Because we used one of the old. Because we had tabernacles lying around all over the place. I had seven churches, um, and there's not a lot of space to celebrate mass, so it mm-hmm. feels a little cramped. But also, this is a thing like. The size of the altar really matters for the comfort of celebrating Mass. This is something people do not yeah, think yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I have done home Masses, uh, or uh, during the school year, I celebrate Mass uh, for my college kids at this uh, Presbyterian college, right. and we use their chapel. Right. And they have like a table there, a fancy table that they use for kind of some props and stuff and whatever, but it's obvious that they're not Catholic because the table is too low. Right, and it kills my back. <laughs> I have to as, you, as you're like leaning old. over, and yeah, 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 you need a little extra height so you can say mass comfortably, because then like you're, the sacramentary is low and you can't see it so good, mm-hmm. and these are the things that matter in an altar. Um, but yeah, I saw a picture of your altar. It looks super cool. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, and what a delightful little piece of providence. Yeah, yeah, I was like, just like, yeah, like, that was so cool. Or even just thinking about just altars. Uh, in general. Okay, so that piece of wood planted there however many years ago and grew up and then was cut down and this guy saved it all so that one day you could celebrate the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass on it. Mm-hmm. There's something very Catholic about that. Yeah. The the transformation of that that 
that piece of the earth that's now a part of where heaven meets earth. It's just very cool. It is. Yeah, no, that's actually, I didn't even think of it that deeply. So uh, right. that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's nice. And it's nice to have the Eucharist as a neighbor. So now every time I walk by that room, it's actually like directly across from my room. Um, you know, I just make a little sign of the cross if I'm not going mm-hmm. in, just to be aware of that he's there. Still need to get like a little lamp of sorts for the uh, to, yeah, yeah. To, to say the presence is there, obviously. And I still need to clean up some books in there. Um, there's there's piles of books on the floor still that I need to organize. <laughs> uh, but it's it's great to have. I'm so happy to have it, and it's uh, it's great. So yeah, Jesus is awesome. I agree. I agree <laughs> that Jesus is awesome. <laughs> You this know is what me is not less awesome. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Go, 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 go. I was gonna say I always have a hard time landing the plane. I was realizing this doing my book edits. So like, you know, you need to add something to your conclusion here to actually make it a conclusion. And I'm like, yeah, I actually really suck at landing the plane. So I just like <laughs> rambling on until I can figure a way to shut up. Uh, that reminds yeah. me. There, there have been two times where I have come to the end of my homily or the end of my thoughts in a daily mass and literally had no idea what to say but knew it was time to end and then there was an awkward pause that was longer than a normal pause and i have literally ended my homily before with just saying the end because i am a <laughs> i am a firm believer that when it comes to homilies it's better to crash the plane than to never land it that's so a good point. sometimes an awkward ending is okay yeah i've done a couple like like where i'm thinking like oh yeah that's a neat idea no, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful. Yeah. You got to watch out for yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, time for the Summa Tweedologica. <laughs> Summa Tweedologica. Summa Tweedologica. Summa Tweedologica. no idea how to end that well because i totally destroyed your transition (laughs) so anyways Uh, the summa theologica was saint thomas aquinas his summary of theology the summa tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on twitter and so uh this is a little late for spooky season because now we're in thanksgiving season the real thanksgiving i will take no questions but this is from jane coaston at cjjane87 Mm -hmm. and she says i am staunchly anti-horror movie i do not want to be afraid for recreational purposes i understand this is a minority position here but i stand regardless oh but here i stand regardless so I know that there's some other priests on Twitter who have uh, recently written about the goodness of horror movies in the Catholic sense. Um, And I didn't read that because I didn't care. The thing is, I cannot stand horror movies. We talked about this a little bit when we reviewed uh, The Exorcist, how (laughs) uh, uh, hesitant I was to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't like the feeling of being afraid. Mm -hmm. I don't like the. I don't like it. Like it freaks me out. Mm-hmm. I am not. I am not a fan of these things. Now, I think, like as we talked about in the Exorcist movie, uh, the horror genre can be used 
very artistically and to tell an mm-hmm. important story. Mm-hmm. And some things are scary. Yep. That's the reality of the thing. And if art is supposed to depict reality and help you have a deeper insight into it, certainly horror has a place. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last horror movie I ever saw willingly uh, was uh, The Ring. Okay. Do you remember The Ring? I've the never seen it. Yeah, I've never TV. seen it. Yeah, I've never seen it. I know what you're talking yeah. about, but I've never seen it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so me and my buddies, I think we were in high school, or maybe we were in middle school. I don't know, whenever The Ring came out. And we all we all watched it, and my buddy's dad drove us there, so we couldn't drive yet. And I remember my buddies like kind of like hiding in their hoodies, kind of watching it. And I'm watching the whole thing. I'm like, this isn't that scary. You guys are a bunch of wimps. Anyway, afterwards, uh, the dad takes us to go get some donuts or something after the, the after the movie. And I'm just kind of bragging about how it wasn't scary or anything. And then out of nowhere, the guy, dad driving the car, turns around. I'm in the back seat, grabs my leg and screams. And I just started crying. <laughs> like, all of the repressed fear, all of the macho stuff, like, got destroyed. I had never been so scared in my entire life. I just started weeping profusely. And uh, he felt very bad about it because he was just playing, like, a little prank on me. But it destroyed me. No, that is no such interest a, that in seeing movies a, ever again. That's such a dad thing to do. It was, it was. And it was right and just. I was bragging way too much. Yeah. He felt very bad about it, but yeah. he shouldn't have because I deserved it completely. Yeah, but uh, ever since then, I'm like, no horror movies for me. So I've seen, like, I've seen some scary movies. Like, you know, I remember seeing um, um, Scream and stuff like that, you know, because they were kind of, it was kind of getting, it was becoming a bit of a thing when I was in high school in the ni- late 90s. It was becoming a bit of a genre. Um, um Actually, okay. When we just remind me, I want to talk about Cabin in the Woods for a second in a minute. But um, okay. Um, but you know, I I I'm not a bit like I kind of I like that tweet because I'm just like yeah, I'm not a the idea of just getting afraid for fun. I'm like, how is that fun? <laughs> right? Like like for example, like the I was willing to suffer it for The Exorcist when I first saw it because. I knew there was some there was a deeper story going on that yeah this movie is going to scare the crap out of me and i'm gonna sleep with the lights on for a week but it's worth it because there's something true being said here um but like and i remember seeing screaming but like whatever even when i'm still today when i'm in the theaters i'm just kind of like sometimes when you know like they're trying to build up a little bit of a surprise moment i'm just like clevering my ears and just trying to just hope and kind of half looking away half looking <laughs> like away I'm like, and i'm like this isn't fun like why 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 is this cool right so yeah, so I don't really I don't really go see them much because I just have no desire to be shocked and awed. I don't want to have a heart attack while watching a movie, right? But I, you know, one of the most interesting, and I've I've, I've tweeted about this before. Uh, one of the most interesting movies I've ever seen is Cabin in the Woods. Have you seen that one? Okay. No, I don't even know the premise. So it's a Joss Whedon film mm-hmm. about these four high school students who go to a cabin in the woods. It's like the jock, the virgin, the stoner, and uh, what's the fourth archetype? I'm forgetting the fourth archetype right now. But, um, no, oh, no, and the cheerleader. The cheerleader. cheerleader. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a bit of, like, the movie actually starts, like, it, 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 you think it's a horror movie, but it's actually, like, a, a meta narrative uh, on top of the whole horror movie genre. And it's actually, I mean, it's a very interesting film. 
I, I actually it, it it's what helped me understand why I hate Joss Whedon so much as a filmmaker. I was waiting for it. I'm like, when are you going to tell me that you hate Josh Whedon? You can't say his name without spitting. At exactly. The same time. Yeah, yeah. So because the whole film is really actually because like the whole. Th- if you haven't seen it, you kind of want to know what it's about. It's kind of like actually the, the this cabin exists because you need these four type of people to be sacrificed every year so that these gods can remain appeased and they don't destroy the earth. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. But the end of the film comes. So no, if you don't want spoilers, just fast forward for a moment. Whereby the stoner and the cheerleader, I think... Anyways, and one of the lady, one of the women of the film, but or I can't remember. I'm pretty sure. Oh no. Anyways, one of them. Um, yeah. I know. I never remember the stoner. Um, they're kind of confronted with this whole narrative, and they say, "Listen, you have a choice. You can offer your life as a sacrifice to save the world. Like you're going to die one way or another. Right. So you can either offer your life as a sacrifice, or the de- these gods won't be at peace, and they're going to be freed, and they're going to destroy the earth." And the stoner kind of just lights up a, a doobie and he goes like essentially like he's like, let him come. Right. And he's kind of OK with the destruction of the world. And this hmm. is the whole thing, because Whedon understands that the whole essence of Western civilization is built upon the idea of sacrifice. And so he's trying to undermine the whole Western narrative. And hmm. He's trying to subvert it in this film. And, and I saw that as one of his principal projects as a filmmaker. And it's why I don't like him. I mean, it's an interesting. It's interesting. It's 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 fascinating. Like it, it was, it, I liked it in the sense that it got me to think. But I also can't stand his narrative style and stuff like that because he's just always trying to subvert. It's like, gotcha. you know, there comes a point when subversion gets to be too much. Sorry, that was kind of off the beaten path, but no, no, that's good because I think that's something that happens a lot now in art. That it's always easy to deconstruct something. Oh yeah, it's much more difficult to make something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, so this one comes from uh, Ignatius Insight at Ignatius Insight, and it's a little quote from a, an article they put together on uh, dioceses offer free internment to encourage proper burial of cremated bodies. Uh, Joseph Hanneman of Catholic World Report on the Lay Them to Rest program in Madison, Wisconsin, and similar diocesan programs in Milwaukee, Detroit, Seattle, Denver, Lincoln, and other places. And I mean, the, it's just this idea that they're offering free places to bury people just to ensure that the cremated remains are are buried properly. And I brought I brought this on because I think this is an important thing to remind Catholics about. Because I've actually been surprised how many people don't actually know about this stuff. And I'm sure you've encountered this as a priest. Oh no, we're just going to put mom on the shelf, on the fireplace. And stuff like this, right? Now, actually, it's interesting. In COVID, I'm a little bit more forgiving because people just want to wait until the family can come together to bury. Sure. And I'm like, okay, okay that's yeah. different. That is actually different. And that's fair. But so, yeah, this is the idea is that you're supposed to be buried. <laughs> you cannot be scattered as a Catholic. Um, you cannot just sit on someone's fireplace for 20 years. You cannot be made into jewelry. That's a thing. If you think I'm joking, uh, people use cremated remains to make jewelry so they can have a little bit of mom with them or a little bit of dad. Um, the, because the idea is like there's a, the whole point of burial is that it's a sign of respect for the body, right? And there is a culture like the culture tends towards cremation more now than full body burial. Although I have zero desire to be cremated, I'm full body because I'm an Italian. Sure. <laughs> Beautiful. Right? That's what Italians do. <laughs> um, but the idea is that, no, no, they, they need, and, and just, like, I think I know you're going to bring this up because, like, and I'll let you do that because, like, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, you need a place to go. 
to mourn and stuff like this, right? You need, um, there's all sorts of reasons why having a stable place of burial and there's something like, there's something to the whole process of the burial itself that is a closure of grief to an extent and stuff like this. So there's a whole bunch of things to it. And I think it's important to realize. So I'm actually, I thought that was a really neat initiative that the diocese, that these dioceses are taking into, into place to try and just encourage people to say, you need to bury the ashes. The remains, yeah, the remains, sorry, not the ashes, the remains. Right, right, right. There's definitely, there's definitely, you know, a lot of biblical and theological reasons to have someone buried, but usually what's in the foremost of my mind are the pastoral and personal reasons. Right. Because uh, oftentimes uh, there is a refusal to acknowledge the reality yeah. that someone has passed away. And not saying it's an easy thing to do under any circumstances. It's not. It's not. It's not. But it's a very necessary thing to do. Right. Um, also, you know, and I this was uh, a story I heard. Um, what if something happens to the house that the ashes are in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is this is a thing that has happened. Oh, that there was a house fire. Right. There were ashes there. And now, you know, it's gone. Right. Uh, there needs, yes, to be the acknowledgement. Also, they're uh, having a place to visit. You know, mm-hmm. this whole—it's uh, huge. Uh, yeah, and the like the whole scattering of the ashes leads to, I think, a kind of uh, I don't know if Gnosticism or um, uh, definitely a denial uh, of the body mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and the importance of the body. Yeah. I think that that's going to play. Yeah. Now, I understand completely that cremation is certainly. Uh, for many people, like the only financial option. Right, right. So that's why, you know, the church allows this. That the only reasons why the church didn't allow it is because a lot of pagan cultures burn the body because either in mockery of Christianity or because it signaled a lack of respect for the resurrection. Right. 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 And that's not so much a cultural thing. At least it wasn't. Now I feel like it's creeping back in. Yeah, that's the um, thing. And that's it's kind of creeping back in. Um and it's kind but, of creeping back know, in and even to Catholics. Right, it is, it is. Um, but like, if it's just, if this is a financial thing, this is what we have to do, there's nothing wrong with that. So you don't need to feel guilty about that. Right. Uh, but yeah, but also I, I like this, that um, there is a place offered because yeah. one of the corporal works of mercy is to bury the dead. Yeah. So it's good that a Christian organization is making this more feasible for people who don't have the financial means. Exactly. Dying is insanely and stupidly expensive. Way um, too the expensive. The prices you pay for, for opening and closing a grave are insane. So the fact that they have this, this is this is important work. I'm glad it's happening. Yeah, it's so. My last parish. This is really interesting. This is part of the interesting stuff. So smaller town. We actually had the parish had a cemetery. We actually had to increase the prices, not so much because just to be like to to make the place long term viable to help like supply the uh, the perpetual fund, right? Like so, cemeteries need right. a perpetual fund to ensure perpetual care. And yes. so you need to create enough amount to pay interest, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, um, so we actually had to read, because when I got there, they were still selling full body plots for $125. Whoa. Which is super cheap. Yeah. But in that town, you got to get a full body plot for still like $600. I was like, that's actually really cheap. <laughs> uh, that's was, actually not too that's bad. That's actually really good because, like, in Victoria, you're looking at four, five, six thousand $6,000 for a full-body plot. In Nanaimo, you're paying um, about $3,000 for, a, like, a plot, like a spot in a columbarium. 
while in Port Alberni, I was only like 250 bucks. Like there was a part of me saying, maybe I should just get buried in Port Alberni because like, <laughs> it'll be cheap. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like the costs vary according to towns and stuff like this. So it is expensive. But I mean, like, um, it, it, but people like it is, it's so expensive now. Like you can, a funeral can cost like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars when you, and when everything's said and done. And that is, um, that's not cheap. And it's not something most of us plan for. Right? The last thing I want to think about is putting money aside for death. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's a good work though. I'm like, I'm really happy to hear diocese is taking this initiative. It's, and it's a part of the corporal work of mercy and that they're finding ways to provide for this in a, in a way that gives people a place to, and I, I think that's the big thing. Like that's such a huge thing is the place to visit. I know where I can go to pray for my loved ones. That's huge. It's yeah. huge. So yeah. yeah, cool. All right, let's move on to presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh yes, yes. quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. This is going to be, this is, you know how you sometimes uh, bring things to the podcast because you're working them out in your brain? Yep. That's what I'm doing this time. Nice. Because there's been something that's been noodling around in there for a while. Uh And I want to talk about it. Okay. So a few weeks ago, we were on the Catching Foxes podcast. Yes, we were. Yes. We were on the Catching Foxes podcast. And it was, oh, it was a long boy. It It was was, uh, was a juicy one. It was like an hour and 40 minutes long. Yep. And we both know uh, Luke and Gomer. We have a lot of respect for the guys. We love the guys. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. And um, very much in the habit of their podcast, uh, we began talking about one thing, and we ended up talking about something completely different. Right. And uh, I recommend people go listen to it. I really do. Yeah, it's... Um, what was the name of the episode again? Uh, I, I'll find I think it. I Gomer Yells at Priests or something. <laughs> Let's find it out here. Gomer um, uh, Yells at Priests with Clerically Speaking. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what happened in the course of that podcast was that uh, the guys really gave voice to a lot of pain that many people in ministry and close to the church have experienced uh, through priests. And they were able to give voice to that. And it was messy. Very messy. But I couldn't see it, it going was, any other way. Right. Here's the thing. The more and more I think about this. Um, I don't think there's been a lot of opportunity for these kind of conversations mm-hmm. where priests and lay people can have a conversation about something very difficult as brothers. Mm-hmm. And I think that episode was a first step in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only a first step, but I think it was important. I think what we kind of learned from that is that, man, there are stuff, there's a lot of stuff because of all the scandals, because of... The daily, honestly, scandals of stuff that happens in parishes, not like the the sexual stuff, but just uh, incompetence, uh, incompetence, or mediocre priests, or this sort of thing yeah. uh, that cause real hurt. Mm-hmm. And we there's not really a good space to talk about that stuff, right? To have a conversation, and so that's what ha- began to happen with that podcast. Right. So that's why I think it's very good. That's why I think it's very important. Right. Uh, I think it's important for priests to hear. Um, I think a lot of people who listened to that um, felt a sense of relief because real pains were being voiced. Yeah. So I 
completely and utterly endorse uh, the episode. But it got me thinking because one of the questions that they asked us was, uh, what does it mean to be a good priest? Yeah. And then you, Father Harrison, were like, wait a second, how about you tell us? Right. And they named all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. Um, But one of the comments kind of got stuck into my brain um, was that a priest exudes a love Mm -hmm. for the liturgy Mm -hmm. and for prayer. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about uh, that after uh, the next Sunday Mass I did. I was uh, at St. Mary's Church. It was one of our first indoor Masses at St. Mary's Church. Beautiful church. Mm -hmm. I was super happy to have Mass back in a church, uh, especially just in particular one that beautiful. Mm -hmm. And... I was super happy to see people sitting in pews, even though, you know, they were wearing masks and they were um, sitting apart from each other. And there's a weirdness in that. There just is. Mm -hmm. And I was happy to say mass. I thought I preached well. I thought Mm -hmm. I prayed pretty well. But then I asked myself, was I exuding anything? (laughs) Like, was I exuding a love for the priest? What does that mean? Was it coming out of your pores? Was it coming out of my pores? Was I just like laser beaming people with holiness? You you just sweat holiness, right? Right? And like, I'm not, I'm making a little bit of fun of of the comment, but it's, it's getting at something. It's like, what does it mean to be a good priest? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be a holy priest? Mm -hmm. Because um, it's something that we want, mm-hmm. right? You want to be holy, right, Father Harrison? Absolutely. <laughs> and not just holy. Oh, and I, you want to be a holy priest. And yeah, and I'll be honest. Like there are days where that question can get lower, right? Like you're not, and it's not, it's not intentional, but it's like you just you, you can forget about the question sometimes. But you do in the end. It's what you want. You wouldn't because we wouldn't be continuing in this if we didn't want it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <sighs> and I was sitting there in my chapel, just like praying about this question and, and thinking about the whole conversation and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe it's realizing we're not. Mm-hmm. Because I think so often we place holiness on our talents or the strength of our personality. You know, um, that I am a holy priest if I'm really good at counseling people mm-hmm. or if I'm a really good preacher. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm that, or if I if I say or use uh, really holy words mm-hmm. with people that are like, oh wow, that was amazing. Right. Um, but that's not holiness. Right. Right. Uh, like, I don't know how you can be a good preacher without holiness. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. in good preaching, you are listening to the word of God spoken to you. Mm-hmm. through the readings and your reflections and your studies and you're telling that to your people and mm-hmm. you're doing that in love and so all that definitely has to do with holiness um but here's some questions here's some questions mm-hmm. that i struggle with um yeah one what is holiness for a priest um but two is how much are we allowed to sin and not like I'm looking for like, hey, yeah. tell me the sins I can do yeah. as a priest. I'm real what's, excited what's to get some limit? sitting in. Yeah, what's the limit? Right. Yeah. Because even if we say, oh, priests are just people. Mm-hmm. Even if we say priests are sinners like us. And even if that's true, which it is. Mm-hmm. There's still this thing that we can't mess up like other people are allowed to mess up. Mm-hmm. Like if a... Um, a married couple, if there's infidelity in that, 
huge amount of pain, mm-hmm. right? Huge amount of suffering. But, but there's still the opportunity for reconciliation and the marriage. And to often they want to. And often they want to, right? Yeah. And going through that process may indeed make the marriage even stronger than it was before. Now, of course, you know, I'm using one very vague example. Sometimes separation is necessary mm-hmm. because of abuse yeah, or something all, else. I mean, like, yeah, it's a complicated right, thing, right, right. But the same isn't true for a priest. Right. It's not. Yeah. And like I said, I'm, I'm so I'm thinking a lot of thoughts out loud. Yeah. So I'm I'm a mess. This is going to be a messy, messy conversation. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying priests should be allowed to go have a relationship and that's a great thing. No, no, no. But I think it's an important question. How much are we? Can we be forgiven for? Hmm. Yeah. And keep our priesthood. Right. I mean, and it's it's interesting. I think. I have a few ideas. One I might just I might table one for a bit later in the episode here. Yeah. But um, how do I want to put this? I think a lot of it has to do not with forgiveness, but with liability. <laughs> if you know what I mean, like it's just like right. Um, and I mean again, it depends on things, but it's. But I find a lot of time. Like, I, actually, I was thinking about this the other day. I'd love to give a homily one day on on the perfect priest. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because this is the thing. Unfortunately, I, do, I guess I find that a lot of people have these ideals of what they want their priest to be. But the problem is no one man can ever fulfill people's ideal. Because we can't. Like, it's like saying I expect my spouse to fulfill everything I want about my life. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, we hold this up even for priests. And, and, and we think, you know, the ideal priest will pray... 10 hours a day, but we'll spend 20 hours in the office, right? Um, The perfect priest will be um, out on the street corners evangelizing, but close to every family in his parish. The ideal priest will have a radical love for the poor, but... um, but work to build up the institution of the parish. Like, it's just like these things that, I mean, they're not opposed, but we want these things of our priests. So what I want a good priest to be when no man can ever do all those things. And every priest is going to have his strengths and his weaknesses. Um, And that, I guess, there has to be some patience and understanding in that the priest is not going to always be perfect. He's going to do his best. Um, But I I guess, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but I do find a lot of times that patience isn't offered. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't fulfill my ideal. And so I'm, I'm blocking you out right away. Yeah. And that's rough. And it's not even just blocking you yeah. out right away. Right. Cause we've, we've all heard this. It's I'm leaving the church because of you now, yeah. or I'm never coming to this parish again, or I'm never donating to this parish yeah. again. Uh, because something about you didn't pick the right candles for the altar, yeah. or or even things more serious than that, right? Yeah. Or even like, oh, I guess it's well, it's, it's yeah. It, it, I think part of it again is we have to understand we, and I think this is kind of getting back to where we talked about a few weeks ago around what that how we ought to understand parish life that we need to start understanding it as family and that the title father actually has a lot of meaning to that. You show me a family where a, fa- a dad has been perfect, but you still love them. 
right? And so that requires a patience. Like I think, but it's like also saying like, I want a priest who, but at the same time, we shouldn't, like for priests, we shouldn't be trying to, we, we should avoid a certain perfectionism that wants to make everyone happy. Uh, we should avoid a, a way of being that um, is going to bend over backwards to the point of killing their humanity so they can appease every single desire in a parish. It's not possible. And it's also about, but then at the same time, on the part of the laity, I think it's a part recognizing like every priest you're going to get is the one you have. That's the reality that's been placed in front of you. And to recognize that maybe, yeah, the last priest was really good at this, but this one's really good at this. And to be grateful for both. And to and to be okay with, yeah, do what they're gonna not be great at this, but they and then to have forgiveness. Because they're trying to do the best they can for you. I it's I mean, I'll be honest, like I find it's pretty rare. I found this again, I know, I know not everyone's had great priests sometimes, but my experience Generally, I mean, and again, maybe I've just been spoiled in my diocese. We don't have a lot of priests, but the ones we have are super devoted to their people and give them of themselves completely, I think. And so I think most priests are just trying to do their best to serve the people of God. Yeah. Okay. You know, and I think it's a lot of truth. And I think, I mean, without saying that there's a lot of priests who are super broken and cannot be the priests they need to be for people and will do a lot of harm in very mundane ways, but a lot of harm. Yeah. But uh, one of the things we were talking about in that other episode was one of the guys was comparing um, his love for his bride right. with a priest's love right. for his bride. Yeah. And here's the thing, and this is something that I used to feel guilty about while I was in seminary, but now I feel very strongly about. Right. That we push the spiritual analogy of the priest being married to the church way too far. Yes. Yes, I have things to say, so yes, go on, though. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, because you and your bride that you're married to, you can share each other's pains and failings completely, and you should. Mm-hmm. If I were to do that, that would be spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. Because you're not just my bride, you're also my child. Mm-hmm. And... While a father can expect a certain, or eventually, you know, some kind of reciprocation from a child, I think any parent will tell you, even though, yeah, they, they know their kids love them, that it's mostly you giving, yeah. right? Yeah. It has to be. It has yeah. to be. You can't, you, like, you, you have a little three-year-old girl, you can't, you should not tell her about all of the problems you had at work uh, or the financial things that you have or, or your own personal struggles with sin or the that stuff going on be between healthy. mom and dad right, right right that would be bad yeah and uh, uh that's a, that's a, my initial thought okay. about that you, so yeah, yeah the reason so we have to remember what analogy means in the catholic tradition analogy means that for every similarity there's always a greater difference right and we also have to remember that it is kind of part of the spiritual tradition that the, the priest is married to the church, but he's married to the church, not the particular parish, right? When we are offering, for example, when we're doing the office of readings, we're praying for the universal church. Yes, our people, yes, we are obviously including in a special way our local people and everything. And we're interested in seating on a, on a local behalf. But actually, that marriage of the priest to the church is not this particular church because the, with the, because this is where the analogy starts to break down. When you get moved as a pastor, then you've entered into divorce. 
right? <laughs> right, right, right. Because I'm expressing my love for the universal church in this particular place. But my, 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 the bride bridegroom relationship is with the universal church, but it's also, it's an analogy. It's not, um, it's, it's, and so the, there is a similarity about the form the love takes, but it's not exactly the same. It can't be right. Cause I, for a lot of the reasons you've mentioned, um, I cannot share my heart with my parishioners. No, not in the not, way that the, a bride right. and groom can. Exactly. No, and actually, I mean, here's the because this is the weird thing is actually it's it's reversed. The parishioners share a lot of their heart with you. Yeah, they do. And out of care for everyone, I keep that private. I take that in, but my love is expressed in not sharing things so that I can love everyone equally, um, so that nobody gets special treatment. No one gets special access to father or whatever or special relationship or anything. You have to be kind of above board, which means you also have to have a distance, right? Like, so this gets back to our episode about virginity, right? This is why celibacy is so important, I think, to the priesthood today. It allows us to have the distance that is actually a deeper love, um, which will absolutely, it, it, which will then, when you see things from a distance, you'll recognize, okay, I need to be close to this person right now for their sake and close to that person, or I need to be distant here and I need to be close there because you're doing it all out of it as an act of love for everyone. But we have to remember the, it's an analogy. And so when there's an analogy, there's some similarities, but there's always more differences than there are similarities. And so you, you can't just take the blueprint of marriage and just impose it on the priesthood. Right. Um, because that's it. Rather, the the blueprint is the way Jesus loves. That's the blueprint for that is the blueprint of the spousal analogy in the priesthood. That as Jesus related to the crowds and to the disciples, etc. Because that's his that's his, but it's everything is for the church and we are united to Christ. We are sacramentally united to Christ the head and the holy orders, and so we are actually sharing in that love for the universal church. Yeah, but even that yeah. analogy and even spiritual reality fails at a certain level. Okay. Christ can share himself with his people in a way that we can't. Right. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Um, well, I'm not talking about sharing the heart. I'm just I'm just talking about just self-sacrificing love. Right. right That's what that I mean. Aspect, yeah. Right. Like it's living the crucified life. But it doesn't mean an access to intimacy with Father in terms of knowing his heart and stuff like this. That's not yeah. that's not for people people don't have a right to that. Yeah. Um and it, it's not even that they just don't have a right, okay, a, maybe, a right yeah, to that, is that it would be unfatherly for us to do that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And this is why friendships with a priest are can be very tricky. Mm-hmm. Um if someone becomes or is a close friend of mine someone that I can share things with mm-hmm. as only a close friend can uh, they are sacrificing my fatherhood mm-hmm. in the sense that I will not be able to be father to them in the same way that I can to another parishioner mm-hmm. um, that they have and it's it's a beautiful sacrifice like yeah I can still be priestly for them I can still baptize their kids and that sort of thing still offer mass for them they can be fatherly aspects, but I'm not going to be father in the same way for them. Mm-hmm. The relationship is going to be different. Uh, there is a, and this is why it, I think it only happens with like uh, very, very close friends, mm-hmm. that the priest, 
and this is something else I want to talk about. The priest kind of steps down in order to be friends with this person. Mm-hmm. Not that the priest is better, mm-hmm. but I am letting go of some of my fatherhood for that person. Right. So that we can be friends. Yeah. So there's a sacrifice on really their part when you enter into friendship, a deep friendship yeah. with a priest. Right. Uh, and that's really like, I'm, I'm blessed that that's happened naturally in my life. I've yeah. been blessed with that. And it's, it's very helpful if a, if a priest has friends even beforehand, but I've even made very close friends, um, mm-hmm. as a priest. Um, they, uh, they haven't been my parishioners. Yeah. Um, but there's a sacrifice on that level too. And there's a question like floating above, I'm just gonna keep throwing stuff out yeah. there and maybe one day it'll make sense or maybe <laughs> we can make it make sense. Um, like how, I don't think that's clericalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's the question that's kind of hovering over, like how much of this is healthy right. or good or how it's supposed to be? Is this how it's supposed to be? Right. I think so. Um, um, because it's it's when you have a, a you know several hundred or especially when you have several thousand people who are your own parishioners, yeah. uh, and you're supposed to care for all of their souls. Yeah. Um, you have some people in your congregation that are saints and probably have no idea that they are. Mm-hmm. You have some people who are incredibly broken and have no idea that they are. Right. And I have to discern not only what you tell me, mm-hmm. but also what is the reality behind what you tell me. Right. That a lot of people act not knowing what they actually desire. Mm-hmm. So somebody may think externally that uh, I just want a spiritual father. Right. When I can tell that what they actually want is something that I cannot give them. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to have to back away from that person mm-hmm. for their own sake. But it will be a pain for them. Mm-hmm. And I may or may not be able to explain that to them, depending on the situation. I know. And that's, yeah. And sometimes, like, it becomes, like, the loving thing for me to do is to hurt you. Yeah. Well, and that's well, crazy. I mean, love it and not in the hurt in the sense of like intentionally, but that hurts going no. to hurts going to arise because of the right. maybe the attachment or the um, you've created or the idea the idea you've created in your mind about the relationship with the priest or my relationship to my faith or whatever that you recognize that when you do this action, you're not hurting them, but because of something they've done or the, uh, something they've bought it uh, they've bought into, they're going to be hurt. Right? Does that make sense or? Yeah. yeah, and then you as a priest have to let yourself be crucified in that moment because yep. you have to watch them. It's almost a Marian aspect to the priesthood mm-hmm. that you have to watch them suffer for a greater good yeah. and you can't fix it. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so I wanted – this is a question, you know, when we were kind of texting about this a bit. This brought up something to me because I think what do we understand – like there's the first question of what do we understand by the word good? Like do we mean like – Morally upright? Do we mean a priest who's just giving his whole heart? Do we mean someone who kind of lives everything? And, like, and I'm going to say one thing. I think especially for pastors, I think there are some basic qualities that a priest ought to be living that I think we can legitimately hold a priest up to. Okay. What are the three 
offices of a priest and when he's a pastor he's uh sanctifier he's priest sacrament yeah. sanctify that's yeah, one of his jobs uh, make holy right right the second one is to teach teach right and the third one is to govern right, right? these are the the three aspects of the life of a pastor um associates don't govern right you guys have that great blessing <laughs> um <laughs> And I think actually a pastor ought to be at least attempting to live these three things. He'll be good at some of some of them and not so great at the other ones, but he has to do them regardless because to to ignore one of them, I think, is to not enter into the reality of being a pastor. And and you're not and you're actually ignoring a way of loving your parish. Yeah. Right? I, I say that because actually sometimes like I listen, most priests, the last thing they want to do is administration. But actually, and it was actually interesting. We had Father Josh on last year. He was talking about how paperwork is actually an exercise, like the sacrificial life of the priest. I was like, it was a beautiful way to help me understand, like, this is why. It's, and actually, it was really a transforming thing for me to see. Yeah, I have to embrace this. I have to govern well. Um, so I think in that regard, as long as a priest is attempting those things, you have a good priest. You know? Sure. Okay. But so that's what I mean. Like, good, well, good in the sense of, like, he's attempting to live out the office of pastor yeah what but i think good has to i think it also oh man we're getting to something else i, I want to get to something else too um you i think there's a possibility of someone who wants to mm -hmm. and is trying to and thinks they are right but they're too broken too right yes and, that's, and that I'm, doesn't make a good priest no it doesn't and that's why i'm saying like I think these categories can be a way to hold a priest accountable. Yes. Right? That's what I mean yes. by this. It's okay. like, they yeah, say yeah, like, yeah. you the, can legitimately hold. Yeah. A priest be like, Oh, you know, I think I am. And it's like, well, actually no father, you know, our finances are in shambles because you haven't been talking about it with the parishioners or whatever it is. And it's like, you, it, it's okay to say, Hey, we need you to do this for us. Cause you're the only one who can. Right. Um, so anyways, but, but the difficult thing for people, yeah, is that there's always going to be that power imbalance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like bringing that to a priest for a parishioner um, is a very difficult thing to do. Absolutely. Because the priest might not handle that well. He may lash out. Right. Um, and it's not just then a, a, a person lashing I know. out. It's this image of the father lashing out. Yeah. Right? Uh, I'm just going to keep throwing well, stuff into this mix. Okay. Can I, only a few more yeah, can I bring okay, one more thing into it? Yeah. Um, because this is the other thing. Like, so that guy is saying, like, I think there's a baseline, I guess is what I'm just trying to get at. There is a baseline of understanding what is at least this is what a priest should be doing. Okay. But no priest is perfect. Sure. We are, and this is where the paradox comes in that, and I think like we need to be accepting of the fact that a priest will never be able to do everything that he's going to have to make choices and sacrifices what he's going to do and not do. And that actually, in sometimes his own weakness and nothingness, is the place where grace starts to work its most. So, so can I read a... Weakness is different than sin, though. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. And this is the tricky part about it. What do we do about a priest's sin? And to yeah. concretize it in a different way, um, I have known priests who have sinned in ways that... Many would say they're unfit for ministry, and they may indeed be correct. Right. How do I, yeah. as a priest, really yeah. 
love that person who is my brother. Right. Because they're probably, and for understandable and practical and prudent reasons, not going to receive love from the people as well. Mm -hmm. And how, when I see them struggle, when I see them despair in their own sin, and it can be a bunch of different Mm -hmm. sins, a part of me wonders, is there any forgiveness for them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or do they just have to be cast out into the outer darkness? Um, And like I said, like, like, I'm not even talking about, like, I'm not not talking about uh, anything with children, Mm -hmm. anything with minors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a question that arises as well. Right. And it's a very Yeah, you're making a distinction between, like, maybe a sin, a personal sin of priests are struggling with and something that becomes abusive and harmful and stuff. Like, you're you're saying, obviously, if someone's doing something harmful, like, yeah, you got to get rid of them. You can't be in ministry, right? Just like if a a spouse is abusive, you can't stay with that spouse, right? right? But what if a priest's sin hampers his ability to teach, govern, sanctify? Right. What if that priest, like, what do we do with them? Because I can tell you that even if that priest goes through a dark night, Mm -hmm. even if they are reformed, um, and and like, like I said, in these other aspects, they can be, maybe they don't get to be a priest the way they want to anymore. Right. You can still be a priest, but maybe not in a parish or something like that. Maybe your life is... And I'm not saying that that's the wrong thing, right. but I, I think... I don't know. I so just want to throw like, this out there. You're just wondering, like, like, is your question, why is it that, yeah. you know, lay people can do some sins and kind of get away with it, essentially? <laughs> not get away with it, but, but like, um, they don't suffer... There's a different kind of A lifestyle um, change the way a priest would. For like I said, sins. I'm not saying it's just a question. Like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to right. make excuses for yeah. priests. No, I'm no, not no. trying to say no, no. this is a thing um, that like I want to see what kind of sins I can do. Right. Uh, but it's it's because we were getting into a little bit in that previous conversation. Yeah. I think this is, needs to be a part of the conversation as well. Yeah. And I'm not going to have any answers for yeah, it. I don't right have now. any answers either. But, but I, think I want to bring proposal. these things. I think up. it's a good question to propose. Um, yeah, I think and I think it's a fair one. I think I think there are some differences again because, like for example, the analogy between marriage and priesthood is not absolute. Right. There has to be some different standards as well. Um, but you're right. I think like I'm always reminded of. I think I, I think I remember hearing a story once about John Paul II. There was a man who was poor in Rome, begging and stuff like this, and John Paul II somehow came across him one day and he started talking to him. Found out that he was a priest. That for whatever reason he left his left the active ministry, never sought laicization, but just left active ministry, and for whatever reason ended up on the street and stuff like this. And and over time, John Paul II actually helped re- rehabilitate him into the active priesthood, right? And it was a beautiful act of mercy. Um, but um, it, it is a tough question because, and again, I think it's just it's important to just hammer this home. We're making a distinction between like a personal sin and um, um, like actual harmful stuff harmful stuff needs to be cast out like it has to be right. it has to be um but also, okay oh man i said like so like and i know yeah that i have accepted a heavy burden mm-hmm. 
I decided to say yes to the priesthood. I have accepted a heavy burden. Other people have not accepted that. And I have accepted it in the same way that a, a married couple, they accept all kinds of burdens that they have no idea about until later in life, mm-hmm. right? Um, but sometimes I think as a priest, you feel not just the burden, but you can feel the loneliness of the burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's real. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's there. And I think, I mean, this might be the hard thing for maybe some listeners to understand. I think a lot of these questions really have to start in conversation with other priests. Sure. Right. And I'll tell you, like in my priest small group, this is the kind of stuff that we, we talk about. Right. And we can talk about it much more explicitly. Right. Um, but I think this is, I'm hoping that this is an appropriate way to kind of present these questions out there as well. Yeah, just let people know like these, and I, and I think it's important people to know like we're, we're talking about this stuff. We're, we're, we're struggling with it. We're, we're engaging with it. We're not just trying to ignore it. And I think actually, um, I do think actually that a lot of priests today really want to be good priests. They want to do a good job, but... And they want to take seriously a lot of the struggles the laity have had with priests. Um, and they're trying to wrestle through it. It's just like how I think I think it's part of living in a moment where the church is in transition to into a vastly different way of life. And how we understand that, like the days of the pastor being almost like the king of a parish are gone. Right. Oh, that used to be the case everywhere. Yeah. Priest pastor was king. And yep. nobody could complain about him, right? And that obviously led to some really bad stuff. And so it's right to yeah. correct that. Um, but then at the same time, then you go through the opposite direction, right? Where the priest has to become so familiar to us that he can't actually tell us what to do when the time is right. Like, he, like you know, like, I mean, like, not in the sense of, like, saying... Or he can't even be a spiritual authority right, in any Exactly, sort of right? Like... He can't be father. And because he's... Maybe this is part of our cross as priests today. This is the suffering we have to endure. Not for our, not because we've done these things, but it's a suffering on behalf of the harms the priesthood has done. The reality is that the scandals have taken away a part of our fatherhood mm-hmm. or a way of exercising yeah. it. I mean, just in terms of that practicalities, we, cannot, we can't do yeah. things we used to be able to do. Or the fact that I'm always, you know, you know, I very much being involved, enjoy being involved in the youth group. Yeah. But I'm also in the back of my head running like a tape is like, am I acting appropriately yeah. at all times? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not like it's a, a temptation or anything for me, yeah. but it, it's like, what is the perception? Exactly. That like, there's a, it's a cross that we have to bear because of the sins of others. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it just, it just is, yeah. it just is. Yeah. And I'm not complaining about it, uh, but it is a thing. And so I wonder, as we, a lot of people say they want priests to be more understood Mm -hmm. or more approachable, and I wonder if we really mean that. Yeah. Or in what way we mean that. Yeah, what way we mean Or in what ways are those possible, and what ways are they just simply not? Honestly, I think the days of, like, again, um, I might be wrong. I could be wrong. I don't think we can have the closeness we once had. <sighs> and there's a variety. Not to the same extent. Not the same. It's not just because of things. It's also because of the lack of priests. Right? 
I'm in the third largest sure, parish that in my diocese by myself. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to be close to everyone. And like your situation, as difficult as it is, it's nothing compared to some of the places like in Texas right. or in the South where of, they have uh, America. thousands of families in their parish. It's like this is impossible. Yeah. And then the government, and that's the other thing, right? And then for sometimes the government, almost takes the the place of sanctifying and teaching because that's all you have every day. Because it's there's just so much of a large organization to run, right? Um, it's just it, it's every. I think you know. It's in the end, I think it's important about saying like we're, we're trying. Everyone's trying their best, and we're try, we're wrestling with the new reality. And I, but I think it's also about recognizing the days when the priest is everybody's buddy, where he can just pop into someone's house for dinner when they feel like it. Those days are gone. I'm not sure if that's what people want. Right, it's what some people some want. Some people want, but that. I don't think that's so much. What do you think they want? The issue. Um. Sometimes I think people don't know. Right. I think you can sum it up accurately by saying "holy priest." Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe this is just, yeah, like I said, hopefully some of this makes sense. Um, I am close to uh, a few families, mm-hmm. like very close, where I consider myself a part of that family. Mm-hmm. But there are some aspects of that family where I am always going to have a distance, mm-hmm. and appropriately so. There are some things I can call uh, the person out on. Mm-hmm. So I'm hanging out with my buddy. He's married. Um, uh, the wife asked him to do something. I'm like, hey, if you go take care of this right now, it's going to make your life a lot easier later. So we can pause what we're doing and go do that thing. Yeah. Right? I can kind of call him out yeah. on that. But there's other aspects of that relationship that will always and appropriately be a mystery to mm-hmm. me. But the fact that I know that, mm-hmm. the fact that I know that there are some things that are going to be an unapproachable mystery for me because of the path that both I and God have chosen. Mm-hmm. That's a part of the understanding. Mm-hmm. And so there are going to be things or just or ways of talking about stuff among priests that is, there's going to be a distance there. Mm-hmm. But aware of that distance makes closeness more possible yeah absolutely for like yeah yep. and i think like and so that's what i'm trying to balance with well, that's why i'm talking yeah. about this on a podcast yeah. so all kinds of people listen right. to right yeah it's i think the thing is to recognize though like for sometimes like just because the priest isn't at your house every week doesn't mean he doesn't love you right right that sure. that there are other places of closeness like that closeness doesn't always mean to be at your house and doing things together or whatever but that closeness is that there's a deep communion that is deeper than just um, than just physical proximity, but that there's yeah. the communion of prayer and the communion of the Eucharist that we share to each other. And also, that doesn't that doesn't exclude moments of different kinds of closeness with different exactly. people that the Lord may providentially ordain. Yeah. You know, um, you know. Uh, for example, I don't do spiritual direction for every single member of my parish. Mm-hmm. Um, the relationship I have my directees, there's a closer relationship. Yeah, absolutely, and because mm-hmm. yeah, because they're going to share a lot more with you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I want to share a quote if I can quickly. Okay. Um, just because it, it's from Ratzinger, <laughs> and I may have shared it on here before, but I, I think it's just this it kind of speaks to what you're talking about because I I want to I want to help people understand like God's grace actually principally works when the priest is powerless that when in our nothingness in our weakness even god's grace is still working god's just because of just because a priest might be inept in a certain area or something like that doesn't mean 
that God isn't still at work, if that makes sense. So let me read the quote, and we can maybe just chat about it for a second. This is from his call to communion. And he's reflecting on the apostles, but I think it applies to priesthood in general. He says, The nothing that the disciples share with Jesus expresses at once the power and the impotence of the apostolic office. On their own, by the force of their own understanding, knowledge, and will, they cannot do anything they are meant to do as apostles. How could they conceivably say, this is my body, or impose their hands and pronounce the words, receive the Holy Spirit? Nothing that makes up the activity of the apostles is the product of their own capabilities. It is precisely, it is, but it is precisely having nothing to call their own that their communion with Jesus consists. Having nothing of their own draws the apostles into communion of mission with Christ. This service in which we are made the entirety property of another, that this giving of what does not come from us is called sacrament in the language of the church. Sacrament means I give what I myself cannot give. I do something that is not my work. I am on a mission and have become the bearer of that which another has committed to my charge. This very self-expropriation for the other, this leave-taking from oneself, this self-dispossession and selflessness that are essential to the priestly ministry can lead to authentic human maturity and fulfillment. And that like, is a very powerful quote. But the reason I like it, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I think it, it brings things around, at least yeah. to the beginning of our conversation. Yeah. In that, in trying to be a holy priest, which I try to do, mm-hmm. the temptation can be to like, Okay, every mass I have to be super prayerful. Every mass I have to do this. Right. Every homily has to knock it out of the park. All these things, but in order to actually be holy, you need to take a step back from that. Yeah. And and because those 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 uh, ideas or that clinging is a trying to take on ministry and holiness for yourself, mm-hmm. and. That's why the the intuition the, that I think I got in prayer is to be a holy priest. You have to realize that you're not. Yeah, and that it doesn't depend on you. Right. So because everything you do as a priest actually isn't your work. That's right. the whole point of the nothingness. But you need to be united. You have to enter into communion with that nothingness. That's right. that is the, because that's where grace works. Grace works where you don't. <laughs> that's the whole point of grace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a, I need to enter more deeply into my nothingness. I think there's definitely, like, there's a strong analogy for just holiness in general yeah. in that, yeah. right? Um, I think I see a lot of the same things in parents that I, I see who are amazing yeah. uh, with all their faults and everything, who are, are desperate, like, am I being Catholic enough for my family? Yeah. Am I doing enough? And it's like, we, we try to take on grace for ourselves yeah. instead of kind of... The um the 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 darkness of the mystery. Yeah. Not darkness in the sense of, of evil, but in the sense that you cannot see. Right. And that you are completely empty. Right. And so maybe all you do is realize that I am showing up for God and for his people. Right. Yeah. And that's it. That's the whole that that a good priest is a is one who shows up. And that's it. Because and recognizing that it's not his job to convert, but to be an instrument and a vehicle through which Christ wants to do the work. I think it's a cure for 
the anxious pursuer of holiness. Yes. And this is Marion, right? This mm-hmm. gets back to our whole receptivity, right? Openness of heart. And I, and this is the beautiful thing. This isn't reserved to just the priest. This no. is for every Catholic. I think that's enough for that's one plenty, episode. That's plenty. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We'll see what people think. Uh, yeah, no, but I think it's uh, just let's throw some more stuff out there into this. This more and more, I think we as a church need to, in appropriate ways, have more and more complicated and difficult conversations. And hopefully this helped it out and didn't didn't mess it up. Yeah. I think it, I think it's yeah. all right. Cool. So hey guys, thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me drinking coffee way too late into the evening. You can find me at fr Harrison on Twitter. Contact the podcast and receive updates at Clerical Pod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube to see our beautiful priestly faces, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.